Good morning, everyone. It is lovely. It is lovely to sit in the circle. Uh, this morning, I'd like to talk a little bit about the three bodies of Buddha. Um, this is a teaching that goes all the way back <clears throat> in our Zen tradition. We don't talk about it a tremendous amount, but the three bodies are mentioned in our meal chants, and they show up in a couple of koans, and they certainly show up in some uh, sutra references throughout the many years. If you're interested in learning a little more of the intellectual side um, of the teaching on the three bodies, I really encourage you to do so. There's a fascinating body of teaching that has been written and spoken and passed on through the many, many years that uh, Zen students have been sitting together like we are today. So I'll offer you kind of my take, just a few thoughts that I've had uh, on the three bodies. And I'm going to use as my starting point um, a koan that's pretty well known. I expect you'll recognize it from the gateless gate. This is koan number 29. Not the wind, not the flag. Two monks were arguing about a flag. One said, the flag is moving. The other said, the wind is moving. The sixth patriarch happened to be passing by. He told them, not the wind, not the flag. Mind is moving. Not the wind, not the flag. Mind is moving. So um, many years ago, and I don't know what many means in this context, probably I'll say a dozen years ago, something like that. I was probably five years into my practice, my like serious practice probably at Zen Center. Uh, we had a summer retreat. Um, if I remember the, I think it was a retreat, a contemporary retreat, not a not a traditional session. And on the second or third day, I had a, uh, a one to one practice uh, meeting scheduled with my teacher, uh, Tim, and something had been slowly but surely making itself kind of known to me the first couple days of the retreat, and I was really starting to notice it. I was really confused by it, so I had formulated this question, which took a while, actually, to formulate, because I thought, this is a pretty sophisticated question. I'm about to ask my teacher. Won't that be nice? And so I said to him, um, you know, in, <clears throat> in uh, Soto Zen, we leave our eyes open as we're doing Zazen, and we face the wall. So what I'm looking at isn't moving. And because my eyes are left open, you know, they're cast down. Uh, my eyes themselves aren't moving either. So my eyes aren't moving, and that which I'm seeing isn't moving either. But like Tim, I've noticed that I can sort of choose where I want the focus of my attention to be within that visual field. It's sort of like I can move consciousness around without moving my eyes and without looking differently in the space, right? The field of vision isn't changing. My eyes aren't moving, but I can kind of concentrate on that lower left, or I can kind of move my focus to the sort of upper right, or I can... And so I was asking him about this, like, 
this is like consciousness moving in relation to the sense organ, in relation to the object, like what's actually going on here, right? So kind of a trippy question, actually. Um, trippy isn't always good, <laughs> but kind of a trippy question, and it had really been, it had really been kind of sitting with me. And um, so in his skillfulness, my teacher said, uh, that's an interesting question, that's good. Um, I, I actually don't remember the specifics of what he said. He probably would have said, oh, that's probably the uh, teaching of the Datus. You need to look into, like, give you, a, you know, maybe a reading idea or something like that. You can look it up later. Um, I'm much more interested in how you're feeling. How are you feeling? How's your body? What kind of thinking have you noticed? How are you treating those emotions and thoughts as they show up? Right? He did what a good Zen teacher does, which is, that's a great question. You're asking a lovely question, and it's worth spending time with, but let's not forget why we're here. This is a retreat. And let's not get lost. Because this is a place we can all get lost so easily, right? Up there in cognition. So um, years later, I came across the teaching of the Datus, and I'll talk about them really briefly. I've mentioned them before in talks. I'm the furthest thing from an expert on them, but it turns out my question for him that day um, was about the Datus. But um, what I want to say next is, um, and hopefully these threads come together. That's kind of what I like to do. In the book of Exodus, in the um, Hebrew scripture that's included in the Christian Bible, we have a character named Moses, who in his attempt to get closer to the infinite, ascends a mountain, and he encounters the infinite, he encounters the transcendent in the form of a bush that is burning, but is never devoured by the fire. It's a powerful image. It reminds me much of the story of Huai Neng, who's the hero of our koan, and being pursued over hill and dale with the robe of transmission by an angry monk and when the angry monk finally catches him, he sets the robe down and says, I give up, you can have it. And suddenly the robe is so heavy that no human could lift it. Our traditions, our spiritual traditions, our religious traditions are full of stories um, that use mythological imagery um, and miraculous happenstance to try to point to spiritual truth. So when Moses encounters the burning bush, he asks its name. And he is told, I am. I am. That which is. So in Zen Buddhism, awareness itself, consciousness itself, is what is. That is what is. So I encourage you to notice right now your left foot. You don't need to do anything. You don't need to move. But just bring your awareness into the sole of your left foot. Kind of nice, right? A left foot that you have. It's just there, sitting there, being a left foot, nothing special. Okay. So that foot was already there. Sensations already happening. In the field of consciousness, everything that it <clears throat> was feeling, everything it was sensing was already happening. 
It was already experiencing the aliveness of the experience of its footness, right? Already there, already happening. So this is the teaching of the Datus. The word here is D-H-A-T-U-S. These are the realms. That word is usually transmitted as the realms, the realms of awareness. And there's 18 of them, three for each sense. In Buddhism, there are six senses, right? And so with each sense, we have three realms. So six times three is 18. So in order for me, I'll use my uh, the sense of vision, because that's where I started us today. In the case of me seeing an apple, um, in order for us to see an apple, um, we need three things. We need the object, that's the apple. We need an eye, which is an organ of sense, a sense organ, and we need consciousness to connect them. So in this case, we're going to call that eye consciousness. Right? We touch, or we know, or we connect in the field of awareness to the apple with our eyes. That's the connection. That's why we can sometimes, we sometimes say all senses are touch. It just means all senses are contact. All all senses are connection, right? So the apple can exist without being seen, and I can exist without seeing an apple, but in order to see an apple, we need apple, eye, and we need the awakeness, consciousness, awareness, to make that connection, right? Eye consciousness. That's what hap That's what's happening when we're seeing an apple. So an eye, exists in form, as matter, as structure. An eye, those beautiful eyes that you have in your head have a birth and a death. They exist in the field of time. An apple exists in form too, right? It has matter, it has structure. An apple has a birth and a death. It exists in the field of time, right? So both I and apple have what we call the stain of matter or form, tangibility, finiteness, right? They are part of the Nirmana Kaya, one of the three bodies of Buddha, Nirmana Kaya, the imminent, the manifest, the finite, the mortal, the embodied, right? Touch it, feel it, hold it, smell it, boom. This is the mud, right, that the lotus grows out of. Both I and apple are limited in this sense. They are of matter. They are part of the nirmana kaya. This is the five remembrances. When we chant the five remembrances every day, <clears throat> I am of the nature to grow old. There is no way to escape growing old. I'm speaking of the Nirmana Kaya. I'm speaking of the finite. I'm speaking of the humanness of this container. Form, mortal, right? That's what that teaching, the teaching of the five remembrances speaks to. The limited physical human mortal part of us. But consciousness, not the I, 
not the apple, that which connects the eye to the apple is the unstained in the stained. The unstained in the stained. It has no form, no matter, no karma. It is outside of time, so it has no birth, it has no death. This is the lotus itself. Pure consciousness. We talk a lot about this in Zen. All the phrases I'm using should be pretty familiar to most of you. Oh yes, the realm beyond karma. No birth, no death. Only connection. Only connection. Right? Pure consciousness, the unstained and the stained, that which is, that which animates life, Buddha nature, ultimate truth. This is another of the three bodies of Buddha, the Dharmakaya. The Dharmakaya, the absolute. This is the I am. This is the I am, Dharmakaya. Beyond subject and beyond object, not bound by eyes or apples, moving freely, I am. Beyond subject and beyond object, not bound by eyes or apples, moving freely, I am. It sounds like an Enlightenment poem or a Kensho poem from somebody who's been doing a lot of Zazen, right? So, what happened when I invited you to notice your left foot, right? Just kind of go back to that moment. I just said, hey, notice your left foot. Put your awareness there. That's it. Okay, cool. We're done. I'm interested in what happened in that moment when I invited you to do that. Because only your noticing happened. That's the answer, right? Nothing. Only mind moved. It wasn't the flag. It wasn't the wind. Your foot was already there being a foot. I just said, hey, are you noticing that? And all of a sudden, it went from unconscious, click, up here to conscious. Oh, I went from not noticing that which is to <gasps> noticing that which is. It sounds like the entirety of Zen Buddhism, doesn't it? To move from not noticing that which is to noticing that which is. We say a lot about the nature of the noticing and blah, 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 blah. We get to break that down. That's cool. That's kind of it. Can you notice? Can you include it? So your foot didn't start with your noticing. It was already there. All the sensations that you were able to connect to using consciousness did not start with your noticing. Right? They were already there, too. Your field of awareness just expanded in that moment in order to include them, right? You're noticing just started to include the left foot part of the vast field of awareness of what is already happening, of what already is, that which is. I could have said right foot. I could have said left hand. I could have said right ear. I could have said emotions. What do you notice you're feeling? I could have said contact with the earth. We could have said breath. We could have said sound of birds. We could have, you get it, 
All of those things are already happening. Only the noticing gets larger to include them, right? So your individual experience, the separate, unique vessel called you that has the I, right, that is separate from the person sitting next to you, the specific awareness of your specific self, your separate self, right? Just joined with the great awareness for just that moment in that specific place called left foot. That's all that really happened. Do you feel how that's just connection, right? Enlightenment comes to the left foot. It's noticed and it's experienced just a little more fully for a moment. It was already there, lacking nothing. But you were not conscious of it, and so it was in the dark. And then you noticed it, and you included it. You were curious, you shone the light of your awareness on it. This is our practice. I see that which is. Does this sound like Zazen instruction to you? I hope. Can you notice? I am the noticed and I am the noticer. I am that which is seen, that which is witnessed, right? I am dukkha, the field of human endeavor, the specifics of my karma, the world of the red dusts, the human realm, the fear that we all feel in our flesh, the shame existing in the field of time the pain, the constriction of life bound to form, this illusion of separateness that's so pervasive, the rising and falling of the wave. This is birth and death, fully human. The angst of that, it's part of our experience. We include that. It's not separate from us. I am that which is noticed, right? This is relative truth. I'm talking about bearing witness to the Nirmanakaya, but this is Zen Buddhism. This is Zen Buddhism, and so that which is noticed is not all that we are. That's why we say the truth is relative. Because we are not limited by or bound by that which we can observe. We are not defined by that which we can observe. Our identity is infinitely vaster than that which we can observe, right? This is absolute truth because we are also the noticer. I'm the noticer, I'm the witness, I'm the observer. I am the vast open field of awareness that holds all things, is all things. This is consciousness itself, Buddha nature, that which is, unbound, eternal, unmarked, unstained, infinite, unborn, undying. Really sounds like Zen now, right? Fully transcendent, the noticer. Both. Boom. Boom. Both.
We are both. I am both, we can say. We can say together, I am both because I am. So to see both, to know ourselves as both, to be the unstained within the stained is the path of practice. And this is the joy that is never apart from suffering. And this is the other of the three bodies of Buddha. Its name is Sambhogakaya. Sambhogakaya is the bliss, the joy, the freedom, the experience of the nirvana of now, right here in samsara, our place of practice, right? This is the field far beyond form and emptiness. I see this as the stem that marries out of great love, the lotus, to the mud. Connection, consciousness, sambhogakaya, and it has an emotional uh, dimension to it. That's interesting. Form, emptiness are described in non-emotional terms, usually. The nirmanakaya and the dharmakaya are described usually not using emotion words at all. But the third body of Buddha, Sambhogakaya, is defined by the emotion, and it's usually translated as joy. Um, usually translated as joy or bliss. Uh, I prefer joy in this setting, at least for the sake of this talk, because we so equate bliss with rapturous pleasure, and it obviously can be that. People have had experiences of transcendent bliss doing Zen practice. That's wonderful. The reason I personally lean toward joy is because joy, the way it's understood in our culture, the way we usually use the word joy, it's a little broader than just it's currently comfortable and I like it. Joy can be very quiet and really big and beyond preference. I think we can understand that. It's much closer to the word love in our culture than it is to the word like in our culture, right? In our culture, like is all about preference. I want more of it. Love, ideally, isn't just strong preference. That's a misunderstanding of the word. We use it that way all the time, I know. But truly, the essence of that is positive regard and connection beyond preference, way past preference. You folks love stuff, you know what I'm talking about, right? So Sambhogakaya being defined as joy, love, that feels a little closer to me, to the essence of what this is teaching. So we are all three bodies of Buddha, of course. Of course, you knew that before I got to that. This is Zen. We all know that one of the highest and first teachings is the thing that you're seeking for is already there. It's already you. You're Buddha. You've always been Buddha. You've never not been Buddha. You are light looking for a match. Right? We hear this over and over and over and over. I can hear it in the monks' conversation about is it the wind? 
is at the flag. Those are both objects outside. So thank God for Huaynong who comes along and goes, it's your noticing. It's inside of you. It's already in. It's already you. It's already imminent. It's you. Knucklehead. <laughs> Mind. That's your nature. Mind. Right? So of course we're all three bodies. We're all three bodies of the Buddha. We're hum the humanness, that includes the humanness of manifest form, the birth and the death we're all experiencing, the happiness that comes from that, the grief that comes from that, the fear, the longing, everything you've experienced so far today, a lot of it, it's dense experience because it's in matter, right? The matter of the body, the body bound in karma, the karma tied, right? To the lineage of humanity, the nirmanakaya. It's one of our three bodies. We include it in every moment. Absolutely, 100%. The owning of that, the connection to that, the compassionate response to that, the holding of that, right? Absolutely the nirmanakaya. This is affirmed in our tradition. Do you feel how affirming that is? One of the bodies of Buddha is this, birth, death, suffering, grief, red dusts, separations, divorce, disappointment, job applications, starvation, frustration. Yes. And we are reminded that's not the edge of the story. That's not the beginning or the end of the story. We are not bound by that which we can observe. So we are also the formlessness and the unbounded and both manifest and unmanifest consciousness, Dharma Kaya. You were still the foot, even though I didn't call your attention to the foot. Awareness was still present, the foot was still present. Right? Intimate with enlightenment is delusion. <laughs> Intimate with delusion is enlightenment, as Dogen says. So we have a thing called Zen to remind us there is something also infinite that you get to slowly but surely over many years practice expanding and knowing yourself as that thing that we call awareness. Awareness itself, Buddha. You're also that. You're also Buddha that way. You're Buddha in the body that suffers and struggles. You're also Buddha with no body no struggle, no suffer, just space, freedom, right? And finally, thirdly, according to this teaching anyway, we're also the freedom, the actual felt, emotional, I'm talking about now, experience of the joy, the love, the freedom that we experience when we marry those two together. Again, this is our stem that marries the lotus, to the mud. When I begin to know myself as both of these things, I am that which suffers and I am that which does not suffer meeting the suffering. That is great joy. Sambhogakaya, the third body. And again, this is a very different kind of joy because this is such a large joy. It's not afraid to hold, encompass, include everything. It is not the kind of joy that is contingent 
upon the absence of something we don't like. And you feel how fragile that is. That's actually not joy. It's non-contingent joy. Because both are included. The transcendent and the suffering. Wow. It's a giant joy. It's a very still joy. It's a very quiet joy. I hope all of you have had an experience, even if it was three breaths, of just not needing anything to be different than it is. That's what I'm talking about. Not running around screaming, banging, fireworks, that kind of joy. That's fine too. <laughs> That's great. But just that kind of joy when all of a sudden all the resistance stops and you're just able to hold it. Just what is. And for those few breaths, everything's okay. Not okay, but just okay because this is how it is. Just okay because you don't need it to be any different. Your enlightenment in that moment includes suffering and doesn't ask it to change. Can you imagine? That is non-contingent peace. That is non-contingent joy. That is contentment with a capital C. And it's such a simple recipe. Zen has been saying this for 2,500 years, I guess, depending on when you imagine that this thing started. Stop wanting things to be different. <laughs> and you'll start seeing things the way they are. You'll be amazed. You suffer way less. It's way different. It's a totally different relationship. Pain is still there. But wow, is your heart big right now? Not because you got your way. Just because you stopped needing it to be different. Isn't that amazing? Nothing special. That's why Zen says over and over, nothing special. There's no big thing. It's not some big thunderclap. It doesn't have to be that. The contrast here I'm trying to point to, I hope, harkens back to the Moses ascending the mountain story. Because what he saw, a bush that is on fire and never devoured, it sounds like something out of a koan. It's miraculous. It doesn't make sense. It's like Manjushri's sword is described as the sword that cuts both halves into one. What? A sword that joins things? That doesn't make sense. It's a made-up thing. Yeah, I get it. It's that kind of an image. Seeing this miraculous image, what is your name? What are you? The answer is the most plain, non-special kind of boring thing you could possibly get as an answer to such a beautiful question. I am. Anything after that will be extra. So I won't say anything. I'll just say I am. That includes everything. Wow. Nothing special. Contentment without edges. But this is a knowing joy. The Sambhogakaya. Very subtle. It is present in you now. The three bodies are present in you now, right? So when I said, hey, notice your left foot. You went, oh, right. Boom. You had no problem. It was already there. All you had to do was connect to it. The three bodies of Buddha are already there. They're already you. You always have been them. That's just your experience. So I'm inviting you to connect to them. Notice them. Is there part of you that doesn't need anything to be different? and feels a deep contentment and not needing anything to be different. Is it possible that that part is there? You just need to search around a little bit, find it, 
Is there part of you that is suffering because it imagines that it was born and died? I'm guessing there's a quick yes from you there. Most of us can find that. You're Monakaya, real quick. Yep. I mostly believe that. And then we have the invitation of Zazen. Can you remember that you are consciousness itself? Just the noticer. Just the witness. Just the observer. This is the joy in our practice. This is the contentment in our practice. Right here in samsara. Rooted completely in samsara. Connected intimately with the suffering of human life. Never apart from it. What a relief, right? What a relief. That's how I experience that as a relief. I hope you do. It means you don't need to go anywhere. You don't need to do anything. You don't have to create a foot. You just have to notice it. It's already there. And then you intuitively know what to do. If it's in pain, you comfort it. You intuitively know what to do if it has a bad, false, untrue, delusional idea. You just correct it. It's so simple. Isn't this just zazen? That idea that comes back and back, oh, that's not a true thing. Not true. I'll stop thinking that. I'll replace it with something that's true. That's all. So simple. I can stop striving. That's not striving. We're not describing striving. We're not describing this practice as being hard. It's not hard. Noticing. You're already doing it. Noticing takes no effort. Noticing your breath takes no effort. Zero. Noticing your body takes no effort. Noticing your emotions takes no effort. It doesn't take effort. There is no effort. It's the easiest thing in the world. The three bodies of Buddha, the easiest things in the world. Right? We have plenty of time. We have plenty of time. This present moment has no beginning or no end. And in this exact perfect expression of Buddha, you, in this exact perfect intersection of time and eternity, you, right now, as you're listening to me say this, just you, as you are, all three of you, and only you, That's as much as I'd like to say today, and I'm grateful for your attention. Thank you very much.